Welcome in to 20th and Blake here on the Mile High Sports Podcast Network. I am your host, Drew Creaseman, and as always, I'm excited to be talking Colorado Rockies baseball with you here on the show. Going to wrap up a little bit of where the club is at right now and, and talk about one of everyone's favorite, I guess, subjects when it comes to this team, the road to or away from 100 losses. Uh, a few thoughts on that subject, but an interesting series over the weekend here at Coors Field against the Arizona Diamondbacks got out there for the Friday and Sunday games. In fact, Sunday game just wrapped up as I'm speaking now. Uh, big, huge, dumb come from behind victory for the Rockies on Friday night. Uh, slightly more regular, but still a little strange victory uh, again on Saturday and then ugly stupid loss on sunday to to uh, put it as as briefly as possible we'll go through here talk about a, a couple of the big standout points uh, of course the person the individual who i think deserves the most conversation right now is elias diaz and that is you know the same way after uh randall gritchick had his big night you hit two home runs one of them's a big walk off you have seven ribbies and you get a bit of conversation about you don't you and uh <laughs> my mother had actually asked me she said you think diaz heard you calling him a disappointment this season all right all right fair enough fair enough i you know uh that said that said on the year you know of course there were a lot of us myself included who were and and maybe unfairly so maybe maybe perhaps preemptively so or just as a response to years and years of not much production at catcher and seeing some of the numbers that came up last year thought you know this guy could really be a thing he he could really be something that is an asset that the Rockies haven't really had throughout their history which is a catcher who's an offensive weapon and it looked like he could be that and he just hasn't been. You know, it's it's been another year where he started very poorly, has ended a bit better. Nowhere near as extreme as it was a year ago. And so he hasn't climbed, you know, totally out of the cellar, sitting there on the year with a 233 average, 291 on base, 393 slugging. So he's not even really making up for it. It was just his ninth home run of the season was that big three-run walk-off job the other night. But when he hit 18 a year ago, uh, maybe he'll get to 10 or 11 this year. Uh, He does have more ribbies on the season at 47 this year to 44 a year ago. But the 80 OPS plus, where last year he pulled it all the way up to 96. And that was something that I was basically saying, look, if he can hang out at 96, if maybe he drops to a 90 OPS plus, but he's still giving you, you know, 15 to 20 home runs and and comfortably over 50 ribbies, you know, 60 to 70 ribbies. He, and he had been at times, there, there was a few moments earlier in the year where, but he did have him batting more in the middle of the order. But as the season has gone on, he's just fallen back down into the bottom part of the order where the numbers say he, he has to be, right? So the, the drop off from a 96 OPS plus to an 80 really does represent uh, a frustrating evolution behind the dish. And that that does change the way you've got to project that position moving forward. That said, it was really, really cool in what you know has been an absolute 
nightmare of a season for him because he believed in in all of this stuff as well. And look, he's still he's only 31 years old. It wouldn't be totally wild if at 32 we got it back a little bit and had a much better season next year. And we can get into all of that, of course, when we're doing player evaluations in the off season. But that he was able to come up with a big night. You know, the seven RBI night, the the two home runs. You know, reminding. Uh, himself uh, maybe that that's something he can do and, and maybe not maybe maybe it, it'll pan out that Elias Diaz you know he's, he's played 472 major league baseball games to this point in his career uh, yes I do have his baseball reference page up I have not just memorized all of these statistics and you know and, he, and he's gonna have several more because he's a good catcher and he does have some power and no one in Major League Baseball, we've talked about this a lot, is super happy year to year with their catcher, except for basically like the Kansas City Royals, right? They've got a superstar catcher there. Everybody else, it's a tough position to get someone who can do all the things you need them to do. And so I still think he'll probably be a part of the team next year and not necessarily, you know, a huge drag on the team. It's just, it's just too bad that, you know, at least for right now, he does not appear to be the answer, as it were, behind the dish. Uh, but he's going to have a little bit more time before the arrival of guys like Drew Romo, potentially. You know, uh, Dom Nunez has, has not been demanding playing time with his production in AAA. So there's a little bit here. I uh, wouldn't be surprised if the Rockies do go get just a veteran catcher, not someone that the fan base is going to get super excited about, but maybe someone who can uh, be a little bit more steady next season than Diaz has been this season. But if it's still his job, I think that's fine. And I, and I think there's, again, you see in nights like we saw on Friday, you know, why there's plenty to be excited about there. Uh, was it just a down year? Can they fix some things? I've talked before throughout the year about the potential for some new coaches in here. I think they desperately need a new hitting coach. They could use some new pitching coaches as well. But is that something where if you bring in some new staff, you, you, you pour more resources into the analytics that you can get Diaz back to that roughly league average hitter with some nice pop who's also a very good catcher, an asset for your club to have. That player's in there. You know, he just, he just wasn't that this year. And so nice to see a, a big night for him, though. And of course, always fun uh, to beat a divisional opponent. And when they were, uh, you know, down by so much after a, a nine-run fifth inning for Arizona, it, it looked like it was just going to be uh, an absolute nightmare of a game for the Rockies. And just one of those ones where you go, how how do they manage to blow this after, you know, what were they up seven or eight to one? Yeah, they were up eight one, and then a nine-run fifth inning, they lose the lead. But then they score some uh, some runs in the sixth and seventh, and then the big three run walk off from Diaz in the ninth. And yeah, if it it's just one of those things where like if it was a more competitive season, if these games really mattered, that would have been huge, right? As it is, you just go, well, all right. Um, but road away from one hundred. I'll get back to that in a second. Let me finish with the series really quick. Then you've got a Saturday night four to one win. Uh, nice job from Jose Urania, who continues to be up, down, up, down, up, down. You know, could be a guy as an asset in your future. I, I feel the same way about, you know, Ryan Feltner, who had a rough outing today where these numbers are ugly. These these 
moments are getting away from them. They're not finishing key innings, but they've got some pretty incredible stuff. And I don't think they're afraid of Coors Field. I think both are better suited to bullpen roles than starting roles. And I think in a world where the Rockies have either better starting pitching health or or if they've gone out and signed someone, so they've just got some better depth there. Uh, you know, I, I especially Feltner, I think, could be a potentially shut down, like, setup guy or even a closer in his future. The fastball's got good movement on it. It flattens out second, third time through the order the more he throws. But early on, the fastball's got a lot of life. I think if you let him be a max effort guy, fastball slider guy, the changeup isn't great, but it's there. And it's nice when you've got uh, a relief pitcher who isn't just a two-pitch mix guy. But I think he could even be that if, if you just had to say, put all the other stuff away, be a fastball slider guy, go max effort for an inning, and kind of take some of this other stuff off of his plate. I think both of those guys could excel in that role. But of course, you, you can't really transition them into that role until you've got guys to take over in the starting rotation, which as it stands right this moment, they don't. But they, they could address that in the offseason. And it could also be addressed through the... Like I said, through the farm system, some of the guys getting healthy, some of the guys moving up, all that. Uh, so obviously the the big RBI total was, of course, from uh, CJ Crone had the big hit in that one, the big uh, monster home run. Though I uh, and I tweeted this out because they they said it was it was funny because it was very close, and it I don't have any hard time like believing that it actually did go 504 feet. But they also told me that a ball that I went out and found years ago that Trevor Story hit went 505 feet. And then it was like months later in, I don't even know that there was like an official press release. I just remember hearing like, oh yeah, by the way, they went back and like readjusted or like re-estimated the distance on that. Or I didn't even know that was a thing. And and they go, no, 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 it was more like 482 feet or something. Like, it wasn't even close. I was like, wait, what? You can do that? Like, you, we're just, so all that stuff that all of us wrote months ago about how it was the longest home run in Coors Field history and one of the longest of the StatCast era, a lot of the same stuff got written, you know, the other day about the C.J. Crone. Uh, it's just yesterday. God, the days are. Anyway, and, and I just go, I don't, I don't know, man. <laughs> Uh, anymore, it's all suspect to me if they could just come back later and tell me the, the estimated distance thing is always kind of weird, but it's fun, whatever. Uh, <laughs> a bit of a weird one, but yeah. Uh, and then, like I said, the Sunday afternoon game just got totally away from them. Feltner had a bad outing, uh, couldn't really get it back together. The Rockies did make a little bit of a comeback in the middle innings, and uh, you got a nice. Uh, hit in there from uh, Montero. Of course, we've seen more great stuff from Michael Tolia. Those are really the guys that have been worth the price of admission. You know, those are the guys, I think, at least for me anyway, when you're watching these games, it, you know, it is what it is. But then when those guys come up, you sort of perk up a little bit, right? You're like, okay, this at-bat's got a little extra juice to it. Let's see what Michael's got this time. He's had some good ones. He's, you know, he's hung in there well against some good pitchers. He, he had some good at-bats today. I thought against Zach Gallon, he, he didn't come out on top in him. But Again, you know, it's it's interesting. If you're watching the at-bats, I think he's he's tracking the ball well. And the one where he struck out looking on the fastball up and away, I thought he hung in there really nicely with him. And it, it was a minor adjustment away from him drawing his walk there. And, you know, maybe just a little bit of rookie stuff. But, God, he, he handles the strike zone so well. He picks his spots. I, I think Michael Tolia is going to be a really fun 
really quality player for this Rockies team for a long time. Whether he ever becomes the superstar that like some of his skill set suggests he could be, just because there's so much power in there. He hits from both sides of the plate, which makes him fun and unique and interesting. He's a big guy at six five. Like again, one of those guys that makes me feel very small. Big, strong guy, and he's a really good athletic defender. So, you know, obviously the best case scenario for anyone who's got all those tools is superstar. But even if he, he's just a pretty darn good player, I think that's what you've got here. You know, his is comfortability with taking it at bat already is remarkable. Meanwhile, Montero is just going to hit. Now, he made a, a couple of defensive plays today that were just, I uh, I still struggle with his defense. I don't know. You know, I hope he can get better, at least at third. Of, I don't think there's a place for him to play first. Certainly next year, you're, you're still going to have Crohn's going to be around unless they trade him in the offseason. Tolio is really the heir apparent over there, even though he can play some right field if you need him to. You know, so they've got guys at first. You've got Ryan McMahon playing third, though today he played second, reminded me of how good he is over there. Guy can just do anything on the infield. But, I, you know, I don't know where he fits defensively. And if he's just your DH of the future, maybe that's okay too. Uh, you know, because Charlie Blackman's also not going to be around forever. Montero can hit, man. He took that ball. It was a first pitch. It wasn't a great one. It's kind of hanging. It was, a, it was a breaking ball that was up. It was up above the zone still, which sometimes those can be funky. And, uh, you know, he didn't try to turn and rip it into the, uh, you know, left field bleachers, which can be tough to do with the location of that ball. He just went with it and slapped it into the opposite field gap. Good, hard, solid double. Uh, on the very first pitch after Tolia had, had worked his long at bat and did end up striking out, but had been tracking him so well. And the Montero goes up in one pitch, one swing, drives in a pair, made it a one-run game at the time before Arizona would eventually run away from it. But again, you've you, you got to look at those at-bats for these young guys. It, it's kind of like watching the minors and separating, you know, or spring training. You know, did you get that home run against a guy who's never pitched in the big, some double-A pitcher? Or did you get that home run against Zach freaking Gallon, who's got a, a 2.45 ERA? You know, and it was, it was the double in the gap, not the home run. But that's really good stuff to see from a, a young hitter like Montero proving himself. And, uh, you know, coming up in what's a big moment for him, you know, in one of these games, chance to, to come through for his teammates, get his team back in the game. And he does exactly that. So they've just been a lot of fun to watch those two. And I'm going to be very curious about how the Rockies figure out this. If you want to call it a problem, uh, again, I've, I've addressed why I don't think it's an issue until all of these guys are playing really well at the same time, which hasn't happened yet. But if you get to that point, it's going to be interesting to see what the Rockies do with this sudden like wealth of corner infielders slash some of them, you know, again, totally a complaint in the outfield. But still, these guys, what are they going to do with them? Do they decide to trade one of them? Do they try to cycle them all through and, and do a little bit of a position by committee, uh, you know, who goes, who stays, who gets what? That's all going to be very fascinating now. Speaking of very fascinating, it would appear as though your Colorado Rockies will not lose 100 games. 
Now, this is one of those talking points that I've never understood why it's such a big thing in this uh, in the community. I've, you know, it's one of those things where I make a lot of enemies because I disagree with everybody on all sides of the debate, <laughs> right? Because on the one hand, there seem to be some folks out there who think if the Rockies would just lose 100 games, that that would be a wake-up call. It would be a... The, the final warning sign that they would see, right? That the Rockies are somehow using the fact that they've never lost 100 games as a, as a shield from criticism, as a thing that they can say. And they do sometimes point out that they've never lost 100 games. I don't know how braggadocious that really is. I'll, I'll get back to that in a second and the reason why I oftentimes point out that they've never lost 100 games. But outside of that, I think the notion that there would be some dramatic shift in the Rockies' philosophy or way of thinking should they lose 100 games or 101 or 102 as opposed to 97 or 98 or 99, that that would... I don't know. Again, I hear this from people and I don't even think they believe it when they say it. And I think because they know it's almost certainly not going to happen. So they get frustrated when the team falls just short because they go, oh, man, now the Rockies, again, can like use this as some sort of shield against criticism. They can say, look, we didn't lose 100, so you can't be too mad at us or something, I guess. And that, you know, had it gone the other way and nobody ever goes quite. This is like always implied, but no one ever actually wants to go through and say it because I don't think anybody believes it, that if they lose 100 games or 101 games, that again, that's going to usher in a new era, that's going to change anything, that's going to open their eyes, it's going to send the message, it's going to be the wake-up call they needed. You know, no, it's it's not. It'd just be now they can't say that thing that they sometimes like to point out. Now, I will say this. I think this has been the case of the Rockies themselves, and it's certainly been the case when I talk about this issue. I only talk about 100 losses in response to other people bringing it up. For now, three years in a row, and again, this is due to the Rockies' own making, but for three years in a row, I have been asked with regularity, and, you know, I'm not going to get into this, but it just... On previous shows where I'd regularly talk to people, like every day I would get asked, do you still think the Rockies aren't going to lose 100 games? Especially like last year when they got off to that awful, awful start. I would get asked once a day, do you still think the Rockies aren't going to lose 100 games? And I would just give my honest answer. My just my best analysis of the situation based on the information that I have, which is no, I don't think that they're going to lose a hundred games. And that has to do with a myriad of factors. One of which is they don't commit to losing on purpose when other teams do. And when there are other teams fighting for being bad on purpose, they're more likely to succeed at it. Right. A lot of it last year had to do with the fact that the Rockies just had, quality starting pitching and we're a really good home team, things like that. But there is this fact that they've never lost a hundred games, partially because they're not trying to lose even when they're bad. And there are lots of teams that are right. And 
we've had that conversation. We, we, we've done the back and forth. But for me, again, like I said at the beginning of this, it largely ends up being something where I disagree with all sides on this because I don't think it matters one way or the other. I really don't. I think the 100 loss thing is something that, you know, is, is more symbolic than anything. I think for me, what the conversation is most about is the gap between how bad people think the Rockies are and how bad they actually are. You know, I, I had someone say to me the other day, four straight last place finishes. And of course the Rockies haven't finished in last place in any of the last four seasons. They're almost certainly going to this year, unless Arizona has a remarkable collapse here down the stretch of the Rockies going to run. But again, that is it important for me to point out that gap? Maybe, maybe not. But this is one of those things where I think the conversation is highly symbolic. I think, you know, people, I, I, for, I just think it's funny that year after year after year, people predict the Rockies to lose 100 games. And they never have. And still, once that happens, people act like, well, it doesn't matter anyway. Or even further cynically, they should have lost 100 games. N- none of that matters. None. It's all... I don't know. <laughs> what matters is their place in the reverse standings, their draft positioning. That matters. And so, you know, yeah, it, it'd be nice in that if that's the thing that you care about for them to have lost a few more games or on the counter. If you're just someone who wants them to win as many games as possible and you worry about that stuff in the future, then it would have been nice for them to have won quite a few more games. But when we get into the, this particular conversation and and it's just because we're coming up on it, right? Where they're about to avoid it and it's going to be all over Twitter and it's going to be the same back and forth that it is every year about, the, the people who swore up and down that this team absolutely would lose 100 games will immediately transition into, well, it's really bad that they didn't lose 100 games. Or it's so embarrassing that the only thing this team has to hang their hat on is that they didn't lose 100 games. Like, y'all just made all that up. The only reason that the Rockies talk about it, or again, that someone like me... When, when someone comes at me and goes, don't you think this team's going to lose 100 games? I go, no, I don't. I go, well, why not? And then I give a bunch of reasons, and they call me a homer, and I go, well, okay. And then they don't lose 100, and I say, see, that's why I didn't think of it. And they go, yeah, but they still should have, and also it's embarrassing that you think they're good because they didn't lose 100 games. I go, I never said they were good. I said they weren't going to lose 100. <laughs> it's stay on topic, right? So here we go again. We can do it all again, but I'm going to avoid most of it because I've given you all my thoughts here. That's one of the nice things about it. I can do that here. So the Rockies would have to lose 20 of their final 21 games. So yeah, they've only got to win one more to avoid 100 losses. Still doable. Maybe I've called this pot too early. If they lose out, you know whose fault it was. You know that it was 
this podcast and this conversation, if they end up losing 100 games after I just did all this, if I, if I drop in their next 20 or 21, beer's on me, all right? Fair enough, right? But if they pick up at least one more victory at some point in the next couple of weeks, the same conversation will be had and then the same people in spring training next year will be predicting the team to lose 100 games again. <laughs> and round and round we will go forever. Forever. <laughs> all right, thank you all for listening into this episode of 20th and Blake here on the Mile High Sports Podcast Network. Make sure you're checking out all the other podcasts here on the Podcast Network and, of course, all of the written content over at milehighsports.com. Other than that, I can only ever ask that you continue to be absolutely awesome out there. You know that I will continue to be absolutely Drew Creaseman in here. And until next time, I will see you at the ballpark.